Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Sober is Dope podcast. I'm your host, Pop Buchanan, and I am very excited to step into 2020 as a transformed human being. We did so much great work on this podcast in 2019, and we're all going to take it to the next level in 2020. I wanted to give you guys a special gift because we all go into the new year and into the holiday season with the mindset that this new year that's approaching is going to be different than the last and we're going to improve and we're going to make more sacrifices and we're going to transform and improve ourselves and we're going to follow through with our resolutions. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to give you a real jam-packed, powerful gift because I love you all. So what we're going to do today is we're going to have the best of the best motivational clips that I curated for you guys from our season one of the Sober is Dope podcast. And I'm doing some extras for you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is an hour and 22 minutes of nonstop motivation. This is what we need. This is put this into your Sober is Dope tool belt. And literally every moment in your life for the, for the foreseeable future, when you feel doubt, you feel any fear, any depression kicks in, you start to second guess your dreams, you start to feel like the weight of the world is on you, play this episode. This episode is for everyone that's seeking to increase their value, their success, to transform the lives of their family, to transform your health, your mind, body, and spirit. I believe in abundance. Coming from my addiction into my sobriety, I transform my health, my mind, my body, and my finances, and my whole outlook on life. We cannot anymore, we can no longer have a a mindset of defeat, a mindset of fear, and a mindset of lack. We are worthy of abundance, and if we do not believe that we are worthy, no matter how hard we try, we will never be successful. That's the laws of the universe. You have to believe in your heart and believe to the core of your soul that you are worthy and you deserve to be successful. You deserve to be in recovery. You deserve to have that beautiful house. You deserve to have that million dollars. That's your birthright. It belongs to you. You have to own it. You have to feel it. And we need motivation to get us there. So with no further ado, I'm going to cut to a message from our sponsor. And then after that, ladies and gentlemen, I am unleashing a deluge of motivation. We have greats like Eric Thomas, Bob Proctor, Oprah Winfrey, Lisa Nichols, Les Brown, David Goggins, and much more. T.D. Jakes, Bishop T.D. Jakes. We have serious people all of these people are successful all every last one transformed their life you know people like every thomas used to be homeless and eat out of garbage cans and now he's the number one motivational speaker in the world okay you have people like oprah winfrey who struggled and now she is where she's at 
This is examples that success can be created instantaneously in a moment. For most of us, we feel like where we're at in our lives, there's no way we're going to become millionaires. There's no way we could transform ourselves. Listen, you could transform yourself in the fourth quarter. You could transform yourself in your retirement. I don't care if you're 90 years old. You could still be a millionaire. You could still transform your life. It's never too late. So don't give up. Don't let your addictions, don't let your health, don't let your mistakes and your past dictate the potentials of your future. And that's my motivational two cents from Pop Buchanan. Ladies and gentlemen, I love you. Let's crush 2020. Let's crush it. All right. I love you all. Please enjoy our ultra motivational jam packed 2020 powerhouse motivational episode from my heart to yours. I'll catch you on the other side. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You, life is short. It's too short to live depressed. It's too short to live anxious. And it's too short to struggle every day with thinking about taking your life. I want to challenge you tonight to get up. That you're not quitting tonight. That one day it is appointed unto all men to die. But that is God's responsibility, not mine. And so I don't know who I'm preaching to tonight. But I want to say to you, get up. Your future is brighter than your past. I want to say to you in the balcony, get up. Your ladder is greater than your former. I want to say to every person in this room, get up. Because the best is still yet to come. I got a God who works miracles. Come on and worship him in this If you only have 24 hours in a day, your success is dependent upon how you use the 24. You got to hear me. People talk about Oprah Winfrey, you know, Ted Turner, Warren Buffett. Listen to me. I don't care how much money you make. You only get 24 hours in a day. And the difference between Oprah and the person that's broke is Oprah uses her 24 hours wisely. That's it. Listen to me. That's it. You get 24. I don't care if you broke, you grew up broke. I don't care if you grew up rich. I don't care if you're in college, you're not in college. You only get 24 hours. And I blew up literally. I went from being a high school dropout to selling 6,000 books in less than six months. What happened? My 24 hours. I was like, okay, Eric, you got to get a grip on your 24 hours because you're about to be broke for the rest of your life. And that's all I need you to do for me. I can tell you all about your life if you just write down your 24-hour schedule for me and you let me look at it. I can tell you where you're going to be in five years. I can tell you where you're going to be in 10 years. I can tell you where you're going to be in 20 years if you keep that schedule. 
There are a few people in this room that know what it's like to be in a situation where everything in your flesh is saying give up. And yet you're in a situation where sometimes you're standing not because you're so strong, you just don't have any other option. It's not that you didn't think about quitting. It's not that you didn't fantasize about quitting. It's not that you didn't dream about quitting. It's, it's not that you're so tenacious and so strong, but life has got you pressed in a corner and you simply cannot let go of anything and you have to stand there in the middle of the storm and keep pumping your head with the faith to persevere severe and just say just hang in there just 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 don't give up just 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 don't just don't give up some kind of way you're going to get through this are you committed because without commitment nothing happens you have to be committed through the storm and the rain and the heartache and the pain and the disappointment or you're not gonna make it it's a commitment. It's not a feeling. While they was golfing, I was studying. While they were shooting hoops, I was studying. While they was playing games and sitting up and eating and joking in the restaurant, I was studying. You can't get out of something, something that you're not willing to put into it. You have to put your everything, your everything, your mind, your energy, your effort, your discipline, your tenacity. Nothing is going to jump out the fire if you don't throw something in there. It's not going to happen. But if we fight every day, one of them days is going to be my day. At rock bottom, I was broke. And I was broken. I got fired from five different jobs. Yeah. And then I got pregnant with my son unexpectedly. And then at eight months, my son's father went to prison. And when my son was eight months old, I went to the ATM to get $20 out the bank because I didn't have any pampers for him. And in order to get $20 out, you got that $20 in. I had $11.42. And I still can't tell the story without getting emotional because it's my story. For two days, I had to wrap my son in, in a towel. But something happened, Steve, in those two days. My son laying on his back at eight months. I have a towel over him, and I have my hand on his stomach saying, don't you worry, Jelani. Mommy will never be this broke again. And I made a decision. I was bankrupt. And every stinking thinking I had, I was bankrupt and trying to protect my pride. I was bankrupt and trying to be all that in a bag of chips and a bowl of grits falsified. I was bankrupt and trying to not ask anyone for help. I was bankrupt in everything that was holding me and keeping me where I was. I've always talked a good game, but I wasn't doing anything with my gift. And all that thing about potential, I was tired of having potential. I wanted to have my now. And I looked at that baby at eight months and I said, I want to transform your life because you didn't ask to come into this chaos. As an African-American male child in South Central Los Angeles, with a single mother whose father's in prison, he had a 66% chance of going to prison himself. Not on my watch. Mm. Not on my watch. So if I have to be willing to drastically transform myself so that I can become the woman that I know I can be. Right. And that's what I began to do. I was radical. See, my grandmother said that conviction and comfort don't live in the same block. If you're going to be convicted about something, you might have to go through some discomfort. But if you want to stay comfortable, why don't you just relax where you are? Because that's where you're going to stay. Right. And so are you willing to reinvent who you are? Are you willing to kill away the procrastination? Are you willing to kill away the excuses, the blame game? I never let people call me a single mom by my title. I'm Lisa Nichols, who happens to be a single mother. Don't define me by my circumstances. Define me by my intention. 
At some point, I have to stop asking, can I be great? Can I be brilliant? Can I be okay and still be accepted? I just stopped asking permission and just gave notice unapologetically, not in a braggadocious way, not in a way that shrunk anyone else, in a way that said, I only got one life, and I'm going to ride this one until the wheels fall off. And that was the beginning of me rescuing myself. I realized that I am my rescue. No one else is my rescue. I am my rescue. But I tell you, there are some times in life where you fall down and you feel like you don't have the strength to get back up. The reason you're here is because there's something in you that says, I can do more. tell you something, you sit in this room, you think you're going to be 18 for the rest of your life. You think you're going to be 19 for the rest of your life. You have an opportunity right now that you will never have. You owe you an explanation. You owe you an explanation. You need to look at yourself in the mirror and say, why are you only giving 50%? What's wrong with you? You need to put yourself on punishment. You need to tell you no more TV, no more snacks, no more desserts, no more. No, we working out now. No, no more alcohol. Not right now. Not. No, I can't handle it right now. You need to tell you that you owe you something. Stop going back to you. You keep going to the mall with the receipt. This is what y'all said it was. Glenn, you didn't do what you said you was going to do. Well, you didn't do what you were supposed to do. So how am I going to do what I'm supposed to do for you? You walk out of this room, you owe yourself. I didn't get here making excuses. So what my father wasn't in my life? The truth of the matter is he ain't never coming to my life. So what, I'm gonna wait for the rest of my life for my man to come? He ain't coming. I live in America, I'm an African-American male. They don't treat us the same. It's something called racism. I ain't gonna cry about it. It's probably gonna be racism to the day I die, but I'm not gonna cry about it. I'm still gonna be a millionaire. I'm still gonna be one of the top motivational speakers in the world. No, I didn't grow up on that side of the town. No, my mama don't have no network. No, I don't know a whole lot of people. No, I'm not at a country club. No, I don't play golf, and I don't plan on playing no time soon. But I'm still going to be successful. I'm still going to get you where they are. Why? Because I owe it to myself. And can't nobody stop me but me. And you need to get rid of them excuses, and you need to stop pointing fingers at people. And you need to start pointing fingers at yourself. What did you not do? Uh, scream to me the other night, hey Will, I wanna be an actor, man. I wanna be an actor just like you. You know, usually people say stuff to me like that. I'm like, yeah, man, you know, you do it. Give them an encouraging word. But I was just sitting in here thinking, and it dawned on me 99% of people that say stuff like that are not willing to do what it takes to make their dreams come true. The Marines have a saying, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And that's just real. At the center of bringing any dream into fruition is self-discipline. You know, some, something as simple as food and eating, it, it's not about your, your body as much as it is about your mind. It's getting command of your mind to be able to choose actions that are in your own best interest. Every day, we are choosing shit that's not in our own best interest. Right? So if the world is attacking you and the world wants to fight you and the world's trying to hold you down, so you're going to kick yourself in the balls? So you're going to stop yourself from getting what you dream. 
Self-discipline is the center of all material success. You cannot win the war against the world if you can't win the war against your own mind. Taking responsibility, accepting responsibility is not an admission of guilt. Right? You're, not, you're not admitting that you're at fault. Taking responsibility is a recognition of the power that you seize when you stop blaming people. It's not like you're letting somebody who wronged you off the hook. Like taking responsibility is an act of emotional self-defense. Taking responsibility is taking your power back. I believe that self-discipline is the definition of self-love. That when you say that you love yourself, that means that you have behavior towards yourself that is loving. It's like you say to yourself, hey man, look, I know you want to eat that pizza and it'll be really good, you know, but I can't let you eat that, man, because if, if you eat that pizza, you're going to feel like shit, you know, and I, I, I just, I love you too much to let you eat that. And I think the word discipline has kind of gotten... A, a bad name we think about it in terms of punishment i'm not i'm not talking about discipline in that way i'm talking about discipline in the sense that you you forego immediate pleasure for the exchange of long-term self-respect self-love is when you say to yourself ah, man look i know you and that girl got a real connection um, I know y'all vibe, but that's your girl's cousin. So I love you too much to let you do that. Self-love is, hey, look, I know you got a, a, a test on Monday, you know, and I know you really want to go out with your friends and Saturday night you want to go out, but if you fail that test, you're not going to feel good about yourself. You know, I just, I love you too much to let you go out tonight. Self-discipline is self-love. If you want to be happy, you have to love yourself, which means you have to discipline your behavior. The road to sustained happiness is through disciplining your behavior. Watch me, watch me. A true hunter is wired differently. He's wired differently. Doesn't have the same makeup. Listen to me, what makes a gazelle a gazelle is how he's wired. When a lion sees a gazelle and the gazelle sees the lion, both beasts see each other at the exact same time. When the gazelle sees the lion because of how he's wired, he automatically, fear takes over. When the lion sees a gazelle, he lights up. It's showtime. The hunt is on, this is what I was made for. And if you ever studied a lion in his natural environment, watch this guys. If an animal is wounded, the lion won't even do what? Won't attack. Right, for real, there's some of you, there are opportunities that you're like, it's too difficult, it's too hard, nobody can do it. You're not wired properly. A lion welcomes the challenge. As a matter of fact, they don't get excited unless it is a challenge differently the gazelle immediately when the gazelle immediately sees the lion the first thing it thinks about is let's go 
first thing the lion does is like, let's eat. So you got to do me a huge favor. If you're going to get to a certain level, you got to welcome it. So, so everybody's like, ET, man, you're just so positive. Everything in your life, man, you just, you just got it going on. I'm a real lion. I'm a real lion. You'll never know. You'll never know what's going on in my life because I'm a lion. And under every single circumstance, I'm a lion. So I lost five aunts to cancer in the last six years. I lost two last year. Lion, still TGIM, still. No, actually, my aunt's death made me go and do TGIM like I never did before. You see, awareness is the big deal. We want to become aware of the obvious opportunities that are available to us. We are surrounded by opportunity. They're everywhere you go. There is an abundance. There's no shortage of opportunity. We can win, and we can win in a big way. Now, when we lack awareness, we miss the opportunity. I don't want to die not having completely burnt out every single possibility of my humanity. I just, I just want to, when, when I leave this planet, I want everybody to say, did that, used it all up. Not another thing I could do. I want you to take a real honest look at your results. And when you look at them, ask yourself, am I living the way I really want to live? The fundamental key to success is what you believe is true for yourself. Not what you want, not what you desire. It's what do you believe? Most people are going to look at you kind of strange. What are you going there for? You went there last month. What are you listening to that for? You listened to that before. What are you reading? What do you read the same book over and over for? They don't understand. And you see, they're advertising their ignorance by the questions they ask. When we get into the success zone, everything in our life starts to change. But understand this, you're going to be a bit of an odd. You're out of the box. You're not one of the masses. And when you get out of the box, your whole world starts to shift. The thing that I, that I, I, I strive to do best is be here, be now. Right here, right now. Good habits will give you results that stick. Bad habits will destroy everything. I have some bad habits. That's right. All my habits are not great. So if you've got some bad habits, don't feel bad. So does your next door neighbor. So does your mentor, your coach. So does your mother and father if they're alive. So does everyone. And the trick of life is to replace a bad habit with a good habit me was um, and is continues to be what continues to inspire me is a primal and fundamental desire to fulfill the highest expression of myself as a human being. Let me speak to that person that feels like they lost their worth and their value. This is a dollar bill. Now, if I go to the store and there's something for 90 cents, can I buy it with this dollar bill? Okay, all right. So, if I go to the store and there's something for 85 cents and after tax, it ends up being 96 cents, can I buy it with this dollar bill? Okay, all right. So, what if I ball the dollar bill up? Think about it now. Like, I just bought the dollar bill up, like, so it can't be worth a dollar now. It's probably worth, like, 95 cents, right? How much do you think it's worth? A dollar, listen, 
listen, y'all gotta pay attention. I just balled it up. So clearly it's not worth a dollar anymore. All right, all right, so maybe, what if I step on it? What if I stomp it? I just stomped it. How much is it worth now? Maybe 65 cents, 68 cents? It's still worth a dollar? Okay, what if I ball it up? What if I stomp on it and then I put it in the trash can and it's in here with some trash and it's around some beer and some gum and a bunch of other nasty stuff and some guy off the street pulls the dollar out, unfolds it. How much is it worth now? Maybe 82 cents? And make, wait, come on, at least 92 cents? It's okay, all right, so what if I ball it up? What if I step on it? What if I put it in trash and then, watch this, I tear it in half. Think about it now, right? How much is it worth now? A dollar? I could tape it? Whoa, 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 Shh. wait, 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 wait. Wait a second, wait a second. I just, I just balled it up. I just stepped on it. I put it in trash. I pulled it out. Then I tore it in half. And you mean to tell me I could pick the dollar up I could wipe it off and I could put some tape around it and it's still worth a dollar? Then why? If this dollar doesn't lose its worth or its value, then why do you feel like you've lost your worth of value? Because many of you feel like you've been stepped on, you feel like you've been pushed aside, you feel like you've been abandoned, you feel like you've been talked about, you feel like you've been abused, like someone took from you, someone hurt you, somebody took advantage of you, and deep down inside your core, you feel like you've lost some of your value. And I am here to tell you today that this dollar still has worth and value because there are some men years ago who put value over this life and said that no matter what happens to it, it can still be taped back together. It can still be wiped off. And I am here to tell you that you were created and you're born and you're here and you have life and you have purpose and you have value. And though you've gone through some hard times and though you've experienced some depression and you might be wanting to hurt yourself and you might want to give up, I am here to tell you you still got worth and value. And there is nothing that can happen that can take your worth and your value away. So what you gotta do now, is you gotta pick yourself up. You gotta dust yourself off and you gotta keep moving. Bob Proctor is one of the guys, anybody you're familiar with the book, The Secret, he's one of the master teachers and I had an opportunity to, to, for him to be my mentor and it was funny, I'll never forget, we were talking and um, he said to me, son, how much do you charge? It's about a year ago. I said $10,000. I was excited. I come from poverty, Glenn. <laughs> I come from a working class. <laughs> I made you know, $10,000. I can do 20 gigs a month. <laughs> My mother never made $10,000 at one time. I'm excited. He said $10,000. I said, yeah. He said, what else, what else do you do? I said, well, I've got the book, The Secret to Success. He said, oh, you sell a book? Oh. <laughs> I was asking to be mentored, not insulted. He said, oh, your little book, you still selling books? I said, still, still? I'm sorry, I'm from Detroit, high school dropout. No, nobody on my block is an author. Nobody in my family is an author. When you say still, <laughs> help me out. What do you mean by still? We made over a million dollars the first year. What do you mean still? He says, Eric, nobody really makes good money off of books, but chicken soup for the soul. He said, you give this away and you turn it into an ascension program. I said, a who? He said, an ascension program, kid. He said, listen to me, the little TGIM thing you're doing, that's for people who don't really want a lot. There's a group out there, they want to learn how you did it from top to bottom, son. You need a program, you need a university online. He said, $10,000, you're one of the best in the world, 10000 
He said, do me a favor. Let's start at least at 20. I saw him six months later. He said, Eric, how's the 20 thing coming? I said, it's going great, sir. He said, what do you mean it's going great? I told him 20 and everybody's doing it. He said, then that's a problem. Lions are wired differently. I said, what do you mean it's a problem? You told me to say 20. I said 20, now they're giving me 20. Like, is this a trick? He said, no, if you're saying yes, it's a problem. Say a number that they're going to say no to, and then you can negotiate. So tell them 100 and see where it falls. Say, I bet you won't be anywhere close to 20. Shit, what am I telling you? He said, your problem is you think like a kid who grew up in Detroit. You think like a kid who came from poverty. You think like a kid whose mama had him at 17 years old. That's how you think. You're not wired to be who you've been called to be. What you need to think is not how you see the world, but what you need to see is how the world sees you. And the world doesn't see you as a 10,000 kid. The world sees you as much bigger. And when you can see yourself as the world sees you and not how you see yourself, is when you're going to go to another level. Let me tell you something. You got it. So when you walk out of here, the way you see yourself is the problem. It's always a result of a commitment to excellence, intelligent planning, and focused effort. You're not going to be the best. You're not going to catch the best if you're not intentional and deliberate. And there are those of you in your, in your space, and whatever you're trying to do, you don't even represent the best in your space, and you're still not giving 120. You're trying to catch the guy. You're trying to catch the female. That's the best. And you're waking up and giving me 70%. You're giving me 80%. But yet you have these dreams that you're going to be the best. How? You're still watching TV. Somebody said, Eric, have you not seen in America, everybody? Have you not seen Scandal? You must watch Scandal. It's the best sitcom. Have you not seen Scandal? I said, it's a scandal. I'm not watching it. It's a scandal. I'm not watching it. Come on at 10 o'clock at night. I'm in the bed. I got to wake up, make my scandal become a reality. This is a scandal. What? I can't watch this. So I'll go home and say, scandal was great. But I did scandal on my time on my way to Australia. I didn't do scandal when I'm trying to catch Jim Rohn. I didn't do scandal where I'm trying to learn from John Maxwell or from my friend Les Brown. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not watching Scandal. So you got to do me a huge favor, and I'm asking you to do me a favor. When you leave today, I want you to look at some things that you're doing, the 30% now, or the 20%, or the 10%, and I'm going to need you to let it go. Just, bro, I've seen a lot, and I just was like, yo, I don't want that no more. Mm -hmm. And so what are the things that stop men from being successful? And I saw it. Females was one, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, yo, it just seemed like, and still, undefeated heavyweight yeah, champion yeah, of the world. Yeah. I'm just like, yo, it just seemed like, bros. And my father had multiple kids by multiple women. Yep. You know, I got a sister I found out, you know, when I was older that I had that's only a few months younger than me. You know what I'm saying? She might be nine months. Like, I was just like, yo, bro, I'm not disrespecting my family. Everybody got to go through their whatever. But I was like, yo, I don't want that life no more. Like, mm -hmm. I don't want to lose. So I started looking at power, egos. A lot of dudes fail because of their ego. You know, they, they, they can't be the two-man. They can't serve nobody else, you know, uh, and then money. You know what I'm saying? I just saw just people would just get money. Like, I grew up in Motown, so these young dudes would come great. Uh, musicians and end up smoking crack or cocaine and just losing their mind. You look at Marvin Gaye, you know, Al, Al Green, you know, the life that he had, Sam Cooke, 
like some of the most talented people, Michael Jackson even, Whitney Houston. And I just started realizing like, yo, if you don't deal with your demons, they ain't going nowhere. They not gonna stay in the closet. Right. And so I was like, yo, E, you gotta discipline yourself. I started looking at Mother Teresa, um, Gandhi. And I was like, yo, bro, Gandhi would go fast from sex. And he was married. He would fast from talking. You know, I just started watching these great people. And was like, yo, these people fast. And not about fasting, like that's not the piece, but they were very disciplined people. Mm -hmm. And they would not allow their exterior world to dominate or destroy their internal world. I just like, yo, I want to get to a place where I can control me. My family members have grown. I lost an uncle, cirrhosis of the liver, brilliant man, but just drinking, drinking, drinking. And I was like, yo, I do not want to. My father was a substance abuser for years. I was like, yo, I don't want a life where something else is controlling me. Mm -hmm. You know, like for real, when I left home and said, I don't want to be controlled no more, like I meant that. Like, I don't want nothing to control me but me. And so I got to put myself under extreme discipline to make sure I'm free. So when people see me, you get up at three, you don't drink, you don't smoke. I'm not doing that because I think I'm better than nobody else or I think you're going to go to hell because you had a drink. I just want, I want to control, I want freedom. And for me, disciplining myself means more freedom. And the less I, you discipline yourself, people who, uh, I, I told my son the other day, I was like, yo son, I don't not want you to have fun. I've just seen a history of people who just have fun. Christmas, Thanksgiving, Halloween, New Year. Yeah. They're the people who Thursday end up, night, oh, Friday night. Oh man, every night. Yeah. They're the people who end up in their 20s having a great deal of fun, but in their 40s and 50s, they working for somebody um, um, and I'm not saying nothing wrong with cleaning toilets, but they doing something they don't want to do yeah. for the rest of their life and they can't retire because yeah. they played so much. Yeah. You know, so for me, I just look at Venus and Serena, Michael Jackson, when he used to like five and six just dancing all night. I just think the more man discipline himself, the greater, it doesn't mean it's going to happen, but the greater the probability that he has this sense of freedom. And I will say this, the one thing I enjoy is that now where I am, this don't mean I'm when you're 20, you're 30, you're 40. I never knew I would be who I am. But I'm grateful that I disciplined myself the way I did because some of the issues I could have as one of the top motivational speakers in the world, I don't have those issues. In people's lives, there's only maybe half a dozen, seven, eight categories that really matter. Most people, you know, they major in minor things. They focus on stuff that doesn't matter. They know more about this celebrity going in and out of rehab than they do about their own personal development. But I look at and say, if you look at your body, without that, everything else is out the door. You don't want to be richest man in the graveyard. That's not going to do it. If there is energy, if there's vitality, if there's strength, it's going to show up in your relationship. It's going to show up in your business, show up in your life. That's an area you got to master. You can't dabble. It's too important. Emotions are everything. I mean, you got a ton of money, you got everybody loves you, and your primary emotions are pissed off and frustrated, then your life's pissed off and frustrated. It doesn't matter if you got a billion dollars or a million people loving you, your life is not great. Relationships, intimate relationships especially. It's where the most juice in life comes from, it's where the most pain comes from most people. It's worth mastering instead of dabbling. You know, really looking at what are you gonna do with your time? and mastering your time. Instead of having a checklist, you cross it all off, you can mistake movement for achievement. I, I wanna squeeze out of that time what matters, that creates value for me and for everyone I care about and love. What about your career or your business and the mastery of that instead of dabbling? Most, most businesses are dabblers. 
why they don't make it. 96%, you know, any 10-year period of time, 4% make it. That doesn't even mean they're profitable. And it does not mean they're enjoying themselves, all right? Or they're getting anybody else to feel good. Really mastering money so that it's it's not a question in your life. You can do and be and give and share as much as you want. You're not stressed about it. You live in a place of abundance. And then spiritually, really, I think, I don't tell people what to believe spiritually, but I believe that ultimately, whatever you believe, you got to live it. And it should lead to growing and giving. If you're growing, you feel alive. If you're giving, you feel 10 times more alive. And I think if someone can celebrate and give, then that's spiritual state. So to me, those are the areas I look at mastering. You know, business for sure, but it's the areas of life that matter most. And most of where we spend our time doesn't make people feel fulfilled. That's why the average person is not fit and healthy. The average person is not in a relationship where they have tremendous passion. You know, I'm not a dummy. I'm not a positive thinker. I know the truth. The average person is not successful in business. The average person is not earning what they want to earn. But you know what? Very few people have those things, but a few do. A few are happy, fulfilled, spiritually alive, financially strong. Their business is growing. They have passionate love affairs. And I'm obsessed with finding the few who do and find out what they do different and teaching to everybody. Everyone's going to measure themselves differently because everyone values things differently. Some people value success or significance. Some people value love more. Some value just basic levels of certainty. Um, so when I look at the specific metrics, I really look at uh, metrics of what are the things that need to be measured to know if your life is going to work or not. So I look at it as our whole lives are guided moment to moment by the state we're in. Learning how to change your state not bullshit, not fake, but to go from pissed off, frustrated, freaked out to back in your center or creative or uh, determined or something that's going to move you forward. It's going to create a better quality of life for you and others. That's a critical skill set. So moment to moment, our life's controlled by our states. Yep. You know, if you're in an angry state, you're going to respond differently than if you're feeling playful. But what controls those states long term is your model of the world, your worldview. And I look at that as having, as a metric, three things that I look at. I look to see first, what are the targets you're after? The target is, everybody has, the, everyone has different goals and dreams and desires. But as I traveled around the world to 100 countries, I started going, holy shit, I'm seeing the same problems. What's underneath it? I began to see that there are these same six human needs that we all have, the same needs. We all have a need for certainty, that we can avoid pain and we can have some pleasure, some comfort. We all need uncertainty. We need variety or we feel dead inside. If you're totally certain you're bored, if you have total variety, you're like freak out. And it's not a balance. It's learning which of these you need more as a person. Everyone's developed a different set of values in that area. Um, need of, the need for significance, to feel unique, special, important. The need to feel loved, the need to grow, and the need to contribute. Some people value certainty at the top of their list. That's their center of their target. I don't want to do anything unless I know it's going to work. I don't want to do anything unless it's the same. If you change anything, they freak out. If certainty is the number one thing on your list, everyone has the same needs, but if it's number one, I know how your life's gonna be. I can predict the direction of your life and therefore the destination to some extent. If you're driven by love first, you want certainty too, but love is higher, you're gonna behave very differently than if you're driven by significance. I have to be the one. So I look to see which of those needs are the top two on your list because they control your life. Yep. The two that most people have, 90% of the planet, if you said, of all these needs, which one do you really focus on most day to day? Everybody wants love. But what do you focus on? Most people focus on being significant. We live in a Facebook world where people fake their life, put new filters, make it look different than it really is, tell stories that you know are totally full of it to make themselves look good. Because we live in this kind of false world where significance is more important than love. And it separates us. 
And the other one that we see most often is certainty. People want to be certain before they can do something. You couldn't have started a business like you had if you were absolutely certain before you started. You can never build a business with that. You can never build a great relationship because if it's based on certainty, then everybody's got to stay the same and never change, which means you're never going to grow, which means you're going to be miserable. So my metrics are, I want to find out what's driving you. I want to see, is it healthy or unhealthy? You can have two people be driven by significance, though, and do it with a different set of rules. That's the second piece I measure. The beliefs or rules of how to fulfill that target. But I want, to, I want to be more clear about something. An extraordinary life is life on your terms, and there's two parts. Part one to have an extraordinary life is mastering the skill of the science of achievement. How do I take what I envision and make it real? And how do I do that quicker, faster, better, easier? The ability to manifest what you come up with and make it real, like you've done with your company, yes. that's a skill set. I spend unbelievable amount of time helping people do it faster, quicker, better, showing them the shortcuts, teaching them the strategies, modeling what works, so you can save yourself a decade. But I would submit to you that having done this for 38 years with you know 50 million people at this stage, I can tell you that the science of achievement, there are a lot of people that are damn good at that and they still don't have an extraordinary life. They have an extraordinary life, you see it as extraordinary, but I get the phone call from the multi-billionaire who tells me he wants to do this thing on his business, but what he really find out is he's miserable as hell and he's hoping somehow I'm gonna rub off on him on that side too. And so I give him what he asked for, the change in his business, but I also give him what he needs, which is the change inside of him. So the second skill is the art of fulfillment. If you want an extraordinary life, you can't just achieve, you gotta be fulfilled. As simplistic as that sounds, but it's an art, it's not a science. It's a science to making money, come on. Any age, any color, any background, any gender, if you do these things, you'll have an abundance of money. You do these things, you're gonna have too much month at the end of the money, you're gonna have financial stress, right? Body, everyone's biochemically different, but you and I both know there's fundamental rules, laws, there's a science to the body. You violate that science, you're gonna have disease, you're gonna have low energy. You align with that, you're gonna have an abundance of energy. It's gonna affect everything in your life, it's a science. Fulfillment's not like that. Fulfillment is as different as our human beings. You want to know what God or the universe likes? Look at the jungle, look at the forest. Right. It's diverse, right. right? So most people think, well, I want to get that because they've been modeling somebody else, and that might work on how to achieve something. It'll never work for what to fulfill you. How many people you know, like you, got what you thought you wanted and you weren't fulfilled? Right. And that, I always tell people, success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. The ultimate failure. Because if you go at something and you fail and you're an achiever, you don't fail. You go, I learned something, I'll just try something else. I'm going to still get there. But when you succeed and you're not happy. So a a perfect example of this, I mentioned in the seminar you were there because it hit me about about a year and a month ago, we lost what I consider a national treasure, Robin Williams. Mm. And I ask people, how many of you love Robin Williams? Everybody raising it all around the world, right? He made people laugh, people were touched by him. So how good was he at the science of achievement? I mean, he wanted to be a great comedian, make the whole world laugh, he did. He wanted to have his own TV show, he did. He wanted the number one show, he did. it. He wanted to make movies, he did. He wanted to have an Academy Award for not being funny, dramatic, and he did it, right? He did it, yeah. He, he said he wanted a beautiful family. He achieved everything, and he hung himself. That's crazy. And I know recently someone's saying, well, you know, he had dementia, he had drug abuse, he had alcohol abuse most of his life because he made everybody happy but whom? Himself. That's the ultimate failure. So if I had no other message to offer your viewers, and you let me give it to them right now, Please. I'll tell you what I believe. I believe our lives are controlled by one force, decisions. I certainly believe in 
force greater than myself, call it God, if you will, grace, whatever you want to call it, the universe. But I also believe it gives us choices. And the decisions we make control us much more than the conditions we meet. It's not the conditions, it's your decisions. Decisions of what to believe, decisions what to do, decisions what to give. I say to people, think about, you know, look back 10 years ago, five years ago, 15 years ago, and think of a decision you made that if you would have made a different decision, you'd have a totally different life today. Better or worse, I don't know, but totally different. The most important decision you can make above any on the face of the earth is deciding that no matter what happens in your life, no matter what happens, you're going to live in a beautiful state. The decision to say, I am not going to suffer, that if suffering arises, pain's one thing, suffering's another. Mm. Suffering is when you're like, Suffering could be worry, could be anger, could be frustration. It's anything that takes you out of a beautiful state. And right. here's what people don't get. You can end suffering by stop focusing on yourself and focus on something you want to serve greater than yourself. Your children, your wife, your mission, your life. You can get out of it in an instant because the nature of the human mind is to constantly compare things. Your mind, your brain is a two million year old device and it is not designed to make you happy. It's designed to make you, it's designed to make you survive. Right. And that's why it's always looking for what's wrong. But it used to be what's wrong is saber-toothed tiger so I can protect myself. Now right. people are worried about what people think about them or do they have enough money when two-thirds of the planet lives on $2 a day right. and you're making $38,000, you're rich. The poorest right. of the poor in our country are considered rich. That's not, I'm not saying they should stay that way. Right. But you can only build on success. My goal would have you consider something. Life is short. We don't know how short it's going to be. But if you only had a week to live, I bet you wouldn't allow yourself to suffer over a little crap that makes you crazy normally. I think you would probably spend time with those you love. You would do what you love. You'd take on a sunset. You'd smell the air. You would take in everything in those so final true. moments that you possibly do. So my thing is, why wait? Right. Right. Why wait? Why not just decide that if I start to suffer, I know the solution because suffering is me obsessing about me. You might say, it's not me. I'm worried about my kids because they're not doing well. No, you're worried that you haven't done enough for your kids. It's about <laughs> you still, right? Yes. You know, you're worried about what was done or what you should have done or what shouldn't have done. And you can end that in an instant by becoming aware of it and saying, I have made the most important decision of all. Right. I'm going to live in a beautiful state because here's what's going to happen. Anybody watching, you may lose a family member. You probably will. Somebody may get cancer. Your business may, the government might change the rules. They might change things radically that you can't even do anything about it. You might go bankrupt. You might get divorced. I don't say anybody will, but no, sure. no one knows what's going to really happen in your life. Life's full of uncertainty. But here's what you can know. You can decide that what, what happens, you could have a great time. If somebody like Viktor Frankl can be locked up in Auschwitz and come out of that and experience finding joy in the middle of Auschwitz, and human beings have a capacity they've undersold themselves on. We think that the outside world determines how we feel. If, if people have to behave a certain way, if your husband or your wife or your kids or your coworkers or whoever, your boss has to behave a certain way for you to be happy, and if they don't, you're unhappy, then you're always going to be unhappy because the more people around you, the more they're going to change that because they're all human. Right. My invitation is, as great as it is to achieve, more important to enjoy. Right. And if you can enjoy every moment in that state, when you're feeling loving and playful and passionate and curious and awe, you treat other people a hundred times better than when you're feeling frustrated, pissed off, overwhelmed, worried, stressed, or feeling sorry for yourself. Right. 
you're going to be a better parent. You're going to be a better lover. You're going to be a better business person. You're going to have a better life. So my soliloquy is decide. Decide today and actually say, what if I cut it off? What if I said, I'm not willing to settle and I'm just going to live in a beautiful state? It doesn't mean you won't feel bad. It doesn't mean you won't stay there. You right. instantly change. But what the hell is success? It's hitting an expectation. And I always tell people, man, trade your expectations for appreciation. And it's a whole new world instantly. If you can appreciate this moment, if you can't find ecstasy in this moment, in a conversation with a friend and looking in your wife's eyes, being with your children, going on a run, a if you can't find ecstasy now, I'm here to tell you, more money, more people, more love, more business, more anything is not going to give you more ecstasy. Right. You got, if you can't do it here now, you're not going to do it there when you got more. So why not do it now and, and have a rich life right now? I tell people... Money, that's one thing. Like having financial abundance, there's skills. That's a science. But wealth, it's a decision. It's like you can be wealthy right now. I, I live in Fiji a good portion of the time. There are these villagers there. They're the richest people I know. They're happy. They laugh. They love. They don't give a damn about the economics. Other people say they're poor. When I first went there, I was trying to do things for them. They're like, what are you talking about? I'm so happy. <laughs> wealthy people come over from the United States and they go travel around and try to figure out what to do. And they're going to spend nine you know, years to do this and this and this so they can finally sit down and be happy. And the Fijian guy goes, why don't you sit on the beach right now, dude, and experience it? Why spend the nine years? Why not have it now? That's my invitation. There is a word that God has put in my heart that I believe is life-changing. We've, we've spent a lot of times cleansing ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh. Lust and f anger and, and, and habits and addictions and things like that. But, but what is deeper is the cleansing of the heart. Your God is a God of seed. He's a God of seed. Everything he does, he does it by seed. It starts out in seed form. He sends his word, which is a seed. And the seed germinates and it brings forth fruit and it brings forth life. It all starts in seed form. Your mind is the ground where seeds are planted. And that's good when it's positive seeds, seeds of life and seeds of healing and seeds of restoration, seeds of deliverance. That's really cool. But it's bad when it's negative seeds like unforgiveness, pride, flesh, carnality. Those are negative things. For the last year, I've been studying and preparing and writing a book called Let It Go, which is built on the premise of forgiveness. Forgiveness. It's amazing to me how many of us as Christians never talk about forgiveness. I mean, isn't that the substratum of what our faith is all about? It's about forgiveness. Isn't that what Jesus died on the cross for, for forgiveness? Isn't that what we're here singing about and raising our hands about and clapping and skipping and falling out on the floors about forgiveness? Everybody in this room has been forgiven. That's, that's, that's a victory right there. Everybody in this room has been forgiven. If you're a Christian, you've been forgiven. You're not here because you deserve it. You're not here because God owes you a favor. You've been forgiven. Isn't it funny how you could have been forgiven and find it difficult to forgive. The challenge is God wants you to be a conduit through which his character flows through. He tells Paul in 1 Corinthians to comfort one another with the comfort wherewith you have been comforted. In other words, monkey see, monkey do. He said, when, when, when you see me comfort you, just turn around and act like me to somebody else and comfort them.
God will give anything to you that he can get through you. So whether you know how to do things, when I was a little boy, I, when I was young, well, not a little boy, but a young man, my, my brother seven years older than me, uh, he was 19 when I was 12, I asked my brother, how, how do you kiss? Yeah, I, I was worried, you know, because I thought, you suppose I do it wrong. And so I said, how do you do it? He said, well, he said, don't worry about it. He said, just whatever they do, do it back. <laughs> I won't finish that story because that story got me into a whole lot of trouble. But, it, but at the time I started into it, it seemed like a good metaphor to teach you a very strong principle. God says, whatever I do to you, do it back. Even if you don't know how to do it, even if you're not familiar with it, imitate me. If I comfort you, you comfort them. If I bless you, you bless them. If I teach you, you teach them. If I forgive you, you forgive them. Think about this. Ever since we were kids, we were taught the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Check this out. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now that thing, I was good till we got to that. That means all of my life I have been asking God to treat me like I treat people. Do you want God to treat you like you do your old boyfriend? Oh, y'all talking now. I see. Uh, oh, yeah. You, you want God to treat you like you treat that person you work with or go to school with that gets on your nerves, your last nerves. You want God to treat you like you treat your father who didn't raise you, your mother who didn't love you. Or that particular sister who is always comparing herself. Do you want God to forgive you like you forgive her? Here lies the problem. And everybody cannot get it. Forgiveness is a big idea. It's for people who are big enough to see the big picture. And you know how you can forgive people who really hurt you? You can forgive people when you understand them. And this is the beginning of your understanding. This is understanding 101. You get the book, I'll take you through the whole process. But this is understanding 101. You have not made a distinction between weakness and wickedness. He might have been weak, but he wasn't wicked. She might have been weak and not wicked. Some things people did, they didn't do them to you. They did it to themselves and you were a victim of their weakness. And how arrogant of you to act like you have no weaknesses of your own. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? So I want you to begin to make the distinction between weakness and wickedness so that you can begin to understand that you can't afford not to be forgiving. The Bible said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Somebody shout mercy. mercy. Now I want you to understand that whenever you ask for mercy, you have to understand you're guilty. See, if I accuse you of a crime and you didn't do the crime, when you go to court, you want justice. Because justice is a friend to the innocent. 
So when you are innocent and I falsely accuse you, you pray for justice. But when I accuse you of something for which you are guilty, you pray for mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. That means that mercy is what God releases, not when they're lying on you. God releases mercy when you are guilty. And there is something that each of you know about yourselves in this room that you are guilty of, and yet you have received mercy. My question then, my brothers and sisters, is how can you receive it and then refuse to give it? And your reason for not being forgiving of all things is because they're guilty. Y'all know you should see what he did. He's guilty. So are you. If God had ever forgiven you, though you were guilty, had mercy, though you were wrong, then it's kind of like the kissing. Just do back what he did to you. Let it go. Let it go. I never knew that the way people described you would become a prison until they did it. Uh, when, when I met me, I was not a preacher. <laughs> so I didn't know that they would incarcerate me with the title. Uh, you are at your best when you are authentic to your core. And you have to be what you are, not what they call you. Sometimes, you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes people will call you a name and you start living up to the name and it limits you from what else God wants to do in your life. Listen. Listen clearly, I want to pronounce a benediction on every grieving, weeping, depressed, lonely, frustrated, tired spirit. Your period of mourning is over. I cried my last tear yesterday. Yesterday. I cried my last tear 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 yesterday. You can send them flowers back. You can give that sympathy card back. You can stop looking at me all pitiful. You can stop seeing me as charity. I got my strength back. I got my fight back. some press down in me. Yeah, yeah, shake your sister girl say I got some press in me. That's how I got in here tonight. I got some press down in me. That's why I'm watching on television. I got some press down in me. I got some fight in me. If you don't believe I got some press in me, look back in my history and ask the folk who fought me. Ask the people who said I would never make it. I got some press in me. I 
I've seen people on the ground. What on the ground really is, is a work ethic that would blow your mind. It would blow your mind. I'm 60 years old, and I, everybody who works for me is younger than me, and they'll tell you, I'll work you up under the table. I'll work you up under the table. Where does that come from? My father. My father. Absolutely. My father is weird. My, let me tell you, this chair is about to break. My father's sitting here, and my mother is sitting here, and they're wow. fighting for the mic from moment to moment. My grandmother talks to you every now and then. All of my ancestors are sitting on this table all the way back to Nigeria. So all the way back in my DNA, we were self-sufficient. Mm -hmm. And all of them are sitting here, folks whose name I can't even call. So what we're talking about is culture. Okay, and not not racial culture, family culture, mm -hmm. where where the demonstration of what my father decided what grinding was. <laughs> you weren't grinding till daddy said you were grinding. Gotcha. <laughs> Take your hands out your pocket, boy, like you got a million dollars in your pocket. They trained us mm -hmm. not to be lazy. They talked about lazy like it was a disease. When you really sit back at your life and you are in that dark room, and you're looking at where you started from. And you tell yourself, God, dog, oh, man, my, my mom is this way. My soon stepdad got murdered. My dad beat the shit out of me. I can't read and write to save my fucking soul. I've lied about it to everybody. I've cheated on all these tests. My God, man. And then you put a goal in your mind. How are you going to feel, man, when you accomplish this goal coming from that shit? Coming from the fucking hell you came from. A lot of people start from a good starting point. They have a good foundation. What if you can surpass all of these motherfuckers? What if everybody who was fucking way up here started up here and you had, you started with no legs. You had to grow fucking legs to even start walking and then crawling and then running. And then you start passing people with all this given to them. I had to use all this negative shit that was making me weak and horrible as a person. I had to use this as the power that now fueled me. I had to flip it on his head and say, hold up. This might be exactly what I need. The darkness is exactly what I need. It's how you look at your situation. And I was looking at it all fucked up. You have to first accept it before you can fix it. A lot of people walk around, oh man, I'm good. I'm good. No, you're not. You have to accept what you're not. You have to, and people don't want to do that. That's the only way you can fix it. You have to accept it first before you can go on the journey. A lot of folks never even start the journey, man. They never start the journey because they're living this fake life that who they want to be, they act like they are, but they're not because they haven't fixed all this stuff yet. You got to fix this first before we can start our journey in life. So that's why I have them make this list. You fix these problems, now your journey can begin because you no longer care about how people are judging you. When you, when you care more about how someone's judging you, you're going to stay right there. There's no forward momentum. Each thing that is wrong with you has to be a focal point. You can't look at this gigantic list and say, I got to change all this shit. My God, this is crazy. No. You take off the first one. I want to be smarter. For me, that was my thing. I have to, I have to become more intelligent. I have such a severe learning disability. Man, I can't retain shit. I had to now get that one thing and then strategize in that one problem. How can I do this? I'm not going to learn like you. I'm not going to learn like anybody else. How am I going to figure this out? 
So I then figured out, okay, where are my strengths here? Where are my weaknesses in learning? All right, man, how am I going to do this? And I figured out a way to do it by just strategizing. So how I learn to this day, if I have a big manual to study, I will have to get a bunch of spiral notebooks from the, from the daggone store. And each page, I have to write each page out maybe 10 times. So there was a thousand page dive manual that I got 18 months before I went to dive school. Most people, I'm not smart, I'm gonna go see if I can pass this test. I realized, hang on a second, I'm not smart. How can I get past this? How can I get through this obstacle? I need to get, I need to acquire this book 18 months in advance because it could take me 18 months to write down each page over and over again to then put it to memory. So when the question came up, I had written that question so many times down in that, in, on, you know, on paper that I can recall, okay, page 71 was where I remember seeing this and I can recall it that way. And that's how I did it. So you got to strategize on each problem you have in life. Slowly break down that problem. Don't think about all the problems you have, just one at a time. And before you know it, you fix all these problems, but you cannot focus on all of them. Just on the one thing at a time. There's a concept in your book that it permeates the whole book and I think really is one of the most important things for people to understand in their own life, certainly to understand you, and it's the notion of detesting mediocrity. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about that. How, do you, how did you instill it in your life? How can other people instill it in theirs? It's one of the biggest things in the world. A lot of us, mediocrity is everywhere right now. And we're always trying to find an easy way out. And we're judging ourselves. Let's say there's 10 people in this room. And we're all mediocre. But I'm the best of the mediocre people. I now think I'm great. I'm great. We surround ourselves around people that make us feel great. They tell us what we want to hear. The second we put ourselves amongst the uncommon people, we don't like that feeling. That challenging feeling that, of, of that person who's waking up at 3.30 in the morning and saying, hey, put your shit on, we're going for a run. We don't like that challenge. We like that person who says, hey, you know what, man, I don't feel good today, man. And they say, oh, it's okay, brother. We'll take a day off, man. We'll get a pizza and shit, watch the game. We like that. We, we love that feeling. Why? Because you understand, man, we're good, bro. We don't want that motherfuckers like this. Hey, man, no, bro. Get your fucking shit on, man. Stop being a punk. We don't want that in our lives. We don't want that person who's constantly challenging our weaknesses. We want that person who's constantly, you know, making us feel nice and good and secure in ours. That's the mediocrity of life. We want to be the best amongst the average people. People wonder, how do you stay hungry all the time? Because after I accomplish something, I don't sit back like a lot of guys who graduate buds, graduate this, graduate that. They get comfortable. They wonder why I'm getting weak, man. I don't know, I lost my edge. What's going on? Because once you hit the top of the fucking mountain, guess what happened? I'm good. I'm good. So you wonder why you're falling down now. Because once you reach the top of the mountain, you got to build a fucking other one. That's mediocrity. There's a lot of people in mediocrity who have a nice resume, but they're one-timers, man. They hit, they hit a one-time deal. They busted it open, got a lot of money, but they're good. You're mediocre now, man. What are you fucking doing today, tomorrow, the next fucking day? That's why I don't listen to theorists. I don't listen to all that bullshit. I listen to a motherfucker who's like this, man. What's wrong, man? I'm fucking tired, dude. Why are you tired? Because tomorrow, 
I got to do the fucking shit again, man. Whatever the shit is that made me fucking nauseous and sick to my stomach, it made me hurt. There's no ending. And that's the person I listen to. That's the person who's gained knowledge. You gain knowledge through suffering. And on the other end of suffering is a world that very few, very few have ever seen. It's a beautiful world because that's where you find yourself. You don't find yourself in over here. You find yourself on the other end. Like, like the 100 mile race I was on, I ran it for 24 hours. I found myself on the other end of that fucking race. That 19 hours, I found, wow, there's a whole nother fucking world out here that I've never even saw. But the world's in your mind. And that's what all that mediocrity is about. Mediocrity is contagious. I'm, I'm a very philosophical person. And I'm going to go there with you real quick. I believe in a higher power. Don't know the name. Don't know where it's coming from. Don't know anything like that. But I believe that this power, and visualize me real quick. Let's say it's a man up there or a woman, whatever. And they have a chart. And when you're born, they say David Goggins. Born February 17, 1975 at 6 a.m. They write the chart down because they can see everything. They know exactly what you're fucking supposed to be. They know what you're supposed to be. You die, you go to so-called heaven. You arrive at heaven, I'm 300 pounds. I retired as an Ecolab guy, which is okay. Just a job, whatever. I go up there and God looks at me and he shows me my chart. And my chart on there says you were supposed to be a Navy SEAL. You're supposed to weigh 185 pounds. You're supposed to be one of the smartest people on the planet, this, this, all this. You see this. And now you're in heaven, you made it to heaven, but you're like, God, Doug, I was supposed to live that life. I was supposed to live that life. And then you find out that the reason why, because we all think that if we pray on it, if we do this, if we do that, whatever, if we don't work, we just, whatever, it's going to magically happen for us. No, I believe that when I'm all said and done with, my whole job is to outwork the chart. Whatever the fucking chart says about me, the all-knowing power up there, I want to get up there and say, him look at me and say, I know everything. I didn't fucking see this. <laughs> I didn't fucking see this. I want to feel that. I want to get to the other end of this fucking world. And however I'm being judged, whoever's judging me to look at me and say, I did not fucking know. I, I had you at 185, I had you at this, but all this other shit, I was riding as you were living it. I want to, I want to find more, all I can. And in that fucking sack of shit, you have to dive in that to find more. Because if you're not willing to go in there and face yourself, you're not going to find anything. You're going to live right here on surface, man, right here on surface. So if there is an ending to this world and there is somewhere to go and there's a judgment, you're going to get there and you might see a chart. And that chart may tell you who the fuck you should have been. And now you get the rest of your life to think about that. Man, I could have lived a much better life if I just would have just suffered a little bit more. If I just would have went in that shit and realized I had so much more. But fear and the 40% and living here versus living here, being afraid, stop me.
I've never been one to set realistic goals. I've always wanted the best. I've always wanted to be the best. And I've always continued to put the work behind that. But I want you guys to realize that when people tell you to set realistic and obtainable goals, I truly believe those people, without maybe realizing it, are insulting you because they don't think that your fragile little ego can take the heartache of disappointment. And the truth is, guys, the reason I say I set huge goals isn't just because I think I can accomplish them. It's because I know that if I don't accomplish them, those unrealized expectations hurt. The disappointment that you feel when you set massive goals and don't hit them is a great thing, all right? You guys have to understand that pain teaches. When you feel pain, it should not be something that you wallow in and that you cry about. Maybe you cry about it for a day, okay? That's acceptable. But the point is, is that when you have something that doesn't go the way that you want, That is a trigger for you to go out and create a situation where it is impossible for you to not get what you want. And that's the difference between people who succeed and people who don't. People who succeed understand that pain teaches them to level the fuck up. They don't whine and cry and about how shit's unfair. Dude, I could just as easily be a 39-year-old man crying about the girl that broke my heart when I was 17, like most people do. But what did I do? And you could say this is petty, you could say it's whatever, but I operate from the dark side, motherfuckers. And that means when people do wrong to me, I make sure that I not only do what it is that they don't believe in me for, but that I rub it in their face later on in life. I was not a motivated high school student. I was not a super achiever in school. I wasn't voted most likely to succeed. Okay? But that experience for me caused enough pain to kick me in the ass and say, you know what? I'm going to fucking shove it down that just fucking throat. And you know what? That's what I did. And that, that one instance probably carried me for the first three or four years of our business. Three or four years, I was able to think back and be like, dude, I'm going to show her. I'm going to this. I'm going to that. And you can say, oh, well, that's insecurity. If you were secure, you know what? I'm glad I was insecure. I'm glad I was in that situation because I take the pain and I put it into productive action. I take every negative thing that someone says to me, about me, or whatever it is they believe or don't believe about me, and I use it to go out and do shit.
You gotta have the courage. Do you have the courage to act outwardly on what you see inwardly? Or will you die a dreamer? Will you die on the verge and on the edge and in the land of coulda, woulda, and shoulda? Do you have the courage? I'm, I'm gonna drop something on you. It takes courage to be successful. It is far easier not to be successful. Misery will always have company. Success breeds contempt. If you don't want to make waves, be mediocre. Be normal and fit in. And if you're more concerned about people than you are God, then neutralize everything he put in you. Just fit in with everybody else. Dress like them, walk like them, act like them, eat like them, go where they go, think like they think, do what they do. And once you've neutralized your uniqueness, you don't need courage. It takes courage to be different. It takes courage to go where you've never gone before. For some of you, it took courage to come to this conference. It takes courage to get you outside of the bar. It takes courage to be successful. It takes courage to win. People don't talk about people that don't win. If you win, they're gonna talk about you. Do you have the courage to stand there though the storms keep raging and the people get to talking and you stand there and say, I've come too far to turn around? Do you have the courage? I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something to you. It takes courage to be exceptional. It takes courage to be wise. It takes courage to be rich. It takes courage to be educated. It takes courage to be knowledgeable. Because the moment you do, but you, you don't talk like, oh, you don't got, forgot where you came from. Look at you, talk to me. It takes courage. And I'm just wondering, in this weak, watered-down, mediocre society that we live in today, in this reality TV world we live in today, I'm wondering if there's anybody left that's got the courage to say, after all I've been through, and all my ancestors have been through, and all my parents have been through, I didn't come through all of that just to fit in with normalcy. I have the courage to go after my dream. Is there a woman left in this entire Coliseum 